core spiritual exercises so that whatever season, whatever goal you might have for yourself, these are things that are going to help that goal. Even if they're not your particular goal, it's like doing uh, sit-ups or crunches or something. You say, this is strengthening my core, so even though if I'm a basketball player or a tennis player or a pickleball player, it's good to have a good core in any of those places. So we're just picking off one at a time. There's 17 in that book. There's 17 weeks that we meet. And today we're talking about redeeming, redeeming your time. So I read this um, Ryan Holiday, I don't know if he, you know this guy, he's written several books. He's kind of a stoic philosopher, and I was reading his book called Discipline is Destiny. I like this little quote. Courage is the willingness to put your ass on the line. So you find something, you say, I'm all in. Discipline is the ability to keep your ass on the line. <laughs> See, it's, it's actually not that hard to find things that you would want to put your ass on the line for. But then when you get to keeping it on the line, it's a lot harder, a lot harder. And so it, it, takes, it takes really strengthening yourself because if you, if you don't strengthen yourself, no matter what you think is really valuable, at the moment you need to give yourself to it, you're just not going to be ready to perform, or at least up to 100%. So that's what we're trying to do. And we're trying to think about it from Ephesians 5. Look, look with me in this verse, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk. A better translation has the word therefore, not the word then. Therefore, he's been making a case from the, chap the beginning of the chapter. Therefore, look carefully how you walk. So he's ta talking about Christian living and he's saying, okay, now that you know this part up here, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. Making the best use of your time is not a great translation. Redeeming your time, redeeming. Because the word is, is a marketing term, and it's purchasing something back. It's not making the best use of it. It's saying, I see something valuable. I want to purchase it back, and I want to use it. In, in the purpose it was meant for, I, or I want to use it for a more valuable thing. I'm, I'm giving time over here. It's not that valuable. I want to purchase it back and use it for a, another purpose. So it's, it has to do with strategy. So if you read the email this past week, I just gave you some links to like uh, practices on how to just organize your day or be more organized or that sort. That's all fine. But that's not really what this is talking about. This is talking about you strategically thinking about your time like a, like a like $100, and you want to invest it in just the right place. I mean, you can buy a lot of candy for $100, or you can buy something more valuable for $100. And redeeming your time is saying you, you've been given a certain amount of time. You, know, you all know this. God's numbered your days. And the most precious thing you have is your time. And you want to you buy it all back from the world who'd want to waste your time and then strategically, like a businessman saying, I see that thing of value, I want to buy that back and then I want to employ it or I want to implement it in this particular way. Now, there's a lot of different videos about this. Uh, this shows my age. Uh, how many know the, the, uh, the show American Pickers? All right, a bunch of old guys, good. 
All right. So these guys go around and they go, they find, you know, junky things that I would think are, have no value. And then they say, oh, this has got a lot of value. And then they repurpose it for what it was meant for, bikes or cars or signs or anything like this. And this is kind of a four-minute video, so it's long for me. But you'll get a sense of it, and you'll love American Pickers, and you'll be happy that I showed you this little clip here, especially if you're a car guy. They open the garage door, and there's the car. It's rusty. I mean, you can't recreate this look. Did this car run when you put it back here? It, it did, yeah. I'm falling in love with the car. Now, I can't even see most of it because the forest is claiming it. It's an early hot rod with an American drivetrain and an Italian design body. Bam. American, English, Italian, Hollywood. This thing is like a patchwork quilt of awesomeness. Well, I mean, are you guys at the point where you want to start selling some of these? We would sell some. It, it would have to be a pretty good amount. Well, what do you want for this one? <laughs> 30,000 is not unreasonable to ask for this. 30 grand for this it, one? That, I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable. With the wrong motor in it? Yeah, yeah. What, what do you want for the red one? <sighs> It'd be in the same 30, 30 range. So you think this one's worth as much as that? That's got the motor in it. No, it doesn't have the motor in it. That's got a six cylinder. Okay, and it doesn't have the right dash. What do you want for that coupe? It would be about the same. 30,000 yeah. bucks. 18 grand. <laughs> oh boy. The reason I came up with the 18 grand is because he's got another coupe sitting inside, very solid body, the original motor, original drivetrain, and he's like wanting 30 for that too. What do you think, Bobby? <laughs> yeah, I don't That's dual laughing on it. <laughs> Him and his dad are kind of chuckling. They're like, that's not going to work. 20,000 bucks. <laughs> I could do something like 25. How about 23? I'll tell you what, I'd do 21. There's a lot of ways to approach a deal. It doesn't always have to be straight on. What do you think about buying two, though? Buying the coupe, if I buy the one with the caddy motor in it, you buy the other coupe with the correct motor in it. All right, Bobby. Yeah, Robbie. yeah. Robbie. Robbie. We crunched a few numbers. I'd be willing to offer you 25,000 for the gray one and 21 on the one with the Cadillac. That'd be $46,000. Well, I, I reckon, I, I guess we will do it. You'll do it? Um, you do it? I think we can do it, yeah, all right. As pickers, you gotta take risks. You gotta take gambles. And here's another big one. We're all in on these Nash Healy's. I'm already sweating a little bit. I mean, we haven't even seen the back half of Mike's car. What do you got? Get that big one. Where? Get that one. We're gonna surgically remove this thing from the trees. I got it! <laughs> and then, Robbie's guy comes with the tow truck. Hey, you got more room over here! And he has to pull a car out from behind it to get to it. Any place so... So finally, we get all the trees, all the bushes away from the car, and I'm looking at it, and it's what I thought it'd be. I can see it! As we get into the job, it becomes a lot bigger job than I ever thought it would be. Wait, oh, you're oh, lifting oh, this car! Oh. You're lifting this car! You know, we can't move the Cadillac because there's a car in front of it. Here it comes, boys. And now it's getting dark, and now it's starting to rain. You know what? I can look at this two ways. I can look at it like, you know, this is really a bummer. The weather is really pulling us down. Woo! But it was just kind of like washing the car off. As he stuck, the racks came out, everything came out. She's fighting us. 
We should just can it for tomorrow morning. I'm done. I'm tapping out. I had a good time. Hey, I, mean, I like I like your spirit. Right. When I came here today, I had no idea about Nash Healy's history. And now I'm leaving here with a plan to get two of these cars back on the road with new owners. All right, we'll see you later. All right, guys. Thank you. Persistence, passion, and patience paid off today. Okay, so that was a long clip, but you get the idea. I love that picture of there's something valuable, but the forest has taken it over. Like, I personally, if I look at that, I'm going to give you $3 for it. Forget 30000 but these guys are strategic. They know what's valuable. They know what's not, not valuable. And I'm afraid that a lot of our lives look like this car buried under the forest. We just have a lot of crap going on. And we're just stuck. We, we can't really move because we have just have so much going on. And we haven't really taken this thing that's really valuable. Car's worth 30000 or at least twenty six or twenty one. And really used it in just the right way. Instead, our time and our lives are buried underneath a bunch of stuff. And so I, I want us to think, how am I using my, am I using my time strategically? That's, that's the first question I want everybody to ask and try to answer in the group. When I think about my time, do I think about it strategically? Or am I somehow halfway buried or fully buried with just the world's busyness and chaos and really what's most valuable is buried in my life? So I want us to think about that. When, when um, Paul uses the word time in Ephesians, there's two different words for time in the Greek. Chronos, so chronology, and that's just a, a, a time. Today it's, it's 7 o'clock in the morning on a Friday. That's chronos time. But he uses a different word. He uses kairos. So strategically use your time isn't minute by minute so much as it is a season. Uh, a moment in time. It's a decisive moment. So, so I, I look back here and I see college and 20-somethings. They're in a certain season. I look over here at my friends who are mid-40s and middle school, high school, college, and they're in a, maybe you're, somebody's over there is 50, I don't know, but you're in the 40, I think, and then I can look over here and see a different season, right? I mean, so we're all in different seasons, and each season you're going to do different things, and my question is, while you're in this season, are you using your, your what you have strategically? Or are you just kind of wasting your time or coasting or drifting? I mean, it, can, it can be easy to do in any of these seasons or to get super busy. And then I, I haven't really used my time well. I spent from, from 50 to 60 or 20 to 30 just kind of coasting or drifting or being on social media or whatever it is. And really, I got, a, I got a, this beautiful car that's just buried in the crap of the world. And I, di I, didn't, I didn't redeem my time, so when I get into the next season, I'm actually not ready for the next season because I didn't use my time well. I don't know what it's like to be retired, but you think, okay, I just got all this time. But you need to prepare yourself, obviously, for that season, and then you want to say, I want to use that time well. 
You have fewer days to waste the older you get. You really want to use those, those days, use your time well. The first thing I want to see, and you see it on your, um, your outline here, is that God has a strategy. I think this is important. I'll try to go through this part quickly. But in Genesis 1, God began to form and fill the earth. So you know this. The first three days, he's forming like an architect. And then the last three days, he's filling all the little boxes that he's formed. That's the way, one way to read that passage. A good, a good way. And in there, in verse 14, chapter 1, it says he makes the sun and the moon and the stars for seasons to mark out time. So God is establishing time, and then he works inside of time. He, he reduces himself, in some sense, to the boundaries that he set up. Listen to Galatians 4.4. 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So just at the precise, decisive moment, God acted. So he's, he's got a strategy, and then he knows at a certain time, I'm going to do this. It wasn't random. It was at a certain time. He was ready at that time. Why not a, a thousand years before? Why not right now? Why doesn't Jesus come right now? You can get worldwide you know, acclaim. I mean, I don't know. But God has a certain time. He's, he's ready to operate inside of time. Secondly, God has a strategy for you. Genesis 1 is what God's doing, forming and filling. And Genesis 2 is he's telling Adam and Eve, you're going to now form and fill. You're in my image. You're not God. But you're going to subdue. You're going to have dominion over creation. So you're going to go out and do a lot of the same things I do. Some of you are going to be formers. Some of you are going to be fillers. I, I was with an architect about our new building uh, yesterday morning, 8 o'clock. We got this big sheet. You've seen it of this footprint. And, you know, we're, we're down to, hey, put this door here, move this wall over here. And we're kind of apologetic, like, oh, I'm sorry, you have to, you're going to have to redraw this. Oh, no, no, I love this. I love this. I was like, I don't love this. I mean, I don't love this at all. But he's a, he's a former. He's a structure guy. He loves going back and tinkering with it and making it all right. And some of you are like that. You're like, oh, I, that energizes me. I'm a filler. I'm going to get people in the door. and I, that's, my, that's more of what I'm going to do. But you're, you, you've got some skills probably in both, but one of those things probably gravi you gravitate more to. That's, that's by design. You're giving instruction or you're filling up something. That's part of how you're made. And secondly, God has a specific design for your life. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them so think about this you're the outcome of something god envisioned you ever think about your life that way god envisioned you i have a strategic plan for paul phillips to be born on may 31st 1963 in georgia and however many days he lives, whether it's 60 today or 80 or 100, hopefully not 100, but at some point, it'll be that, that I, I strategically put him in for this time. He did that for you. 
You are a product of something God has envisioned. You've got to let that really settle down in your soul. And he wants you to operate according to time. He's already prepared in advance works for you, not me, for you to do. But you've got to be ready to step into the time. You've got to say, I'm not, I'm not covering my life full of junk. I'm ready to be used in the way I was, I was built. So let's go back to this passage in 515. Purchasing your time. Purchasing your time. How do you train? How do you train to be prepared for the good works God has planned for you? How do you prepare for the season, for the Kairos moment? And Paul gives us some help here, and that's what I want to finish with here. First of all, just look at the text. Look carefully how you walk. Some older versions has have walked circumspectly. You know what that means? To be circumspect is 360. Some of you have done a 360 evaluation. So you've been, it's been done on you. You've done it. And it means we're going to get all around you, Paul. We're not just going to do this part of your job. We're going to get every aspect of you and give you a 360. And that's what Paul is saying. You've got to do a 360 on your life. You've got to look all the way around. Because if you don't look all the way around, one little piece can damage you if you don't see it. So he's saying, look around, look, look carefully, look ahead, look beneath, look, look with care, look with purpose. It, it, at least one thing he means is don't drift. Don't, don't coast, don't be passive, don't just react. You've got to plan, you've got to pray, you've got to pursue, you've got to be patient. I, I love the... Um, the end quote there from the, the pickers, persistence, passion, and patience paid off. They looked all the way around. They were persistent. They had a particular passion. They were patient for it. So, so do, are those the sort of character traits for you? You're, you're looking around. You're persistently looking around. You have a particular purpose that you're shooting for. You're patient as you do it. There's a strategy now, some of you remember uh, uh, the book of Nehemiah because we did it in Iron Leadership before. And it's one of my favorite parts in that book, if you remember. Nehemiah was stuck in Babylon, and he wanted to go back and help rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. You remember this story? And he's the cupbearer to the king. So he has a kind of an unusual access, an unusual relationship with the king who's got the most power. And Nehemiah gets this report back saying, hey, the walls are in shambles. And because the walls are in shambles around the city, everyone's in shambles. It's like the wall represented everybody's life. Everybody was just debris. And that broke Nehemiah's heart. And so he prayed and he planned. Took several months. And then just at the right time, he didn't know when this would be, he got in front of the king. And he had a conversation with the king. And the king says, hey, why are you downcast, Nehemiah? Well, I got this problem with my countrymen back in Jerusalem. And then this is the part, this is the part I love. The king looks at Nehemiah and says, well, what are you requesting? What a Kairos moment. You, I want you to feel like this is the moment. And if Nehemiah hadn't planned and prayed, he would say, I don't know, man. That's not a good answer at that moment. What did he say? Send me. 
send me with materials, send me with troops for safety, and here's how much time it'll take. He was already, he had used his time wisely, so when the Kairos moment hit, he was ready. So if you want to take this car that was buried in debris and run it on the road today, no. I mean, that's what it was meant for, but it can't. It's got to go back to the shop and get a new car, get new wheels, get a new engine. It's got a bunch of stuff to do. And maybe that's where you are. But get the heck out of the woods. Redeem your time so that when a moment comes up with your child, with your wife, with your business, with your church, with a conversation about Jesus with somebody, you're ready because you used your time wisely. You didn't have your life covered with a bunch of crap. And now you can't do anything. I love that. Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2. So just think about how many regrets you have that you just didn't look around. You just didn't think something all the way through. And you were like, oh, if I had just, if I had just been a little bit more patient. If, if I had just looked ahead you know not from this conversation but what this conversation might mean in the next conversation you know what i'm saying if i just taken one more time to look around i wouldn't have gotten into this accident i've been in this accident where you're behind somebody and you're trying to turn right onto a busy road probably you were there this morning you'll be there today so it's just a stop sign, but it's, I'm per turning out on College Road. There's one car ahead of me. We're both looking down, right? We're both kind of looking down. And I know he or she in front of me, they're looking down. And they start moving forward. And I go, good, they're in. I'm looking down. What happens? I don't look back one more time to make sure they actually got in the flow. I just assumed they were moving forward. I, it looked like enough room to me. If I had been them, I would have gone. But guess what they didn't do? They didn't go. <laughs> but I went right into the back of their car. Crunch, police, all that stuff. One, just one more look. Just one more look. And the police officer said, this is one of those common accidents. People just don't look one more time. So just where's a place you're not looking around or are you looking around? Are you careful? Do you think, okay, if I say this, if I do this right now, I need to think about my time the ne in, in the next conversation. What's going to happen from here to here? Am I considering that? Am I looking around? Am I having other people look around in my life and say, hey, I need your help? A friend of mine this week, a pastor in town, said, hey, I've got some issues in my church. I want to send this email. Ooh, uh, I just don't think that's a great plan. And he said, but can you read it for me? And I said, oh, this is this. You need to get this out on this piece of paper only. <laughs> you don't need this to get this out on the Internet. Because I just said, think about the kinds of people who are going to read and what they're going to read into it. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Oh, but you see what he would have done? He would have gotten in a massive car wreck, a relational car wreck. Just look around. Just look circumspectly. 
and see, is there debris growing on? Am I wise in how am I using my time for my next season? I'm, am I in my 20s? And am I doing something right now as a college guy? Am I doing something right now as married without a kid? Am I doing something right now married with two young kids that I'm, I'm going to be ready for the next season? You've got to look around. Walk not as unwise, but as wise. So that's the second thing. You need to just gain wisdom. And, and here's two ways that I thought about this wisdom that comes from the text. Look back with me in Ephesians 1. This is sort of like the foundation of wisdom, I would say. Verse 16. I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is what he's praying for, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. So he's praying for this wisdom because he knows they're going to need this wisdom. And here, here's what the wisdom is. Your hearts wouldn't be enlightened that you would know your hope is in Jesus. That you have riches in Jesus and you have power in Jesus. Hope, wealth, power. These are things men love to have. And he's saying, I want you to understand, it all comes from Jesus. It is all Jesus. It doesn't just come from him. He is our hope. He is our wealth. He is our power. So I wake up and I, I want something. And I got to say, no, that, that's not really the goal here. It's really all coming from Jesus. This is a spiritual wisdom. And then you have to have a what I'm going to call common wisdom, living with the grain of the universe. I just know how to live with the grain of the universe. God has created the universe, and you can live with the grain of the universe, or you can live against the grain of the universe. You know what I'm talking about? You run your hand against the grain, you're going to get splinters. And you read your Bible to understand how to live with the grain. And there, all the books of the Bible are helpful, but you might as well start with the wisdom books. <laughs> Proverbs would be a great place to start. How do I live my life with the grain of the universe? So that I'm using my time well, I'm not constantly getting splinters. Proverbs 14, the fool believes everything, but the wise gives thought to his steps. Proverbs 12, the way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 29, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. So I believe everything, everything seems right to me, I vent all my feelings. I know lots of people like that. Fools. I, I, I give thought to my steps, circumspect, I listen to advice, I hold my feelings back. Not in a way to stuff them, but to, to gauge, is this a good time to engage with that feeling right now or not? So live wisely, live wisely. One last piece here, there's a warning. Like I said, he says in verse 15, the way it's written in the ESV is the word then, but a, a better word, I think, is therefore. Therefore, look carefully. So when you ever see the word therefore, it's you want to say, what's it there for? In other words, something's come before. And here's Paul's warning. And I'll just uh, notice some words here. 
beginning in, in chapter 5, verse 1. Don't be s- deceived. Don't be deceived by empty, by empty words. I mean, we live in a culture just full of empty words. Songs, most of what's on cable news. Just don't be deceived by that. There are going to be all kinds of words, all kinds of messages come in. I'm warning you, if you're going to look around, one of the things you're going to have to be careful of is, is that you're not deceived by empty words. Don't become partners with anything disobedient and dark because you're going to get sucked down that hole. Try, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then at the very end, verse 14, wake up. Wake up, O sleeper. Don't, don't be asleep. Don't, don't waste your time sleeping. I'm not saying you shouldn't sleep, but you understand. Don't, don't sleep your way through life like I'm just not paying attention. No, redeem your time back. God has particular kairos moments decisive moments that when they come he needs you to be ready and step in a conversation or building something filling something i don't know what it would be but he has designed you for some specific moments but you have to prepare yourself for those moments or he's going to have to go down the bench and say paul's not ready i got to get pearson So how are you using your time? Are you redeeming your time? You realize the time is short. Or you bear, are, you, are you like the car? You're buried underneath a bunch of debris. So the first question, we're going to watch one more video. The first question, do you walk carefully? Do you, do you live out of a strategy using your time, both today and my season right now? And then you can look at the other questions. Probably most of you have all seen this, even if you've seen the clip. Uh, Carpe diem, remember that phrase? Seize the day, the Dead Poet Society. The little little two-minute clip of great Robin Williams actor helping us seize the day. Pitts. It's a rather unfortunate name. Mr. Pitts. Where are you? Mr. Pitts, will you open your hymnal, page 542? Read the first stanza of the poem you find there. So the virgins to make much of time? Yes. The one. Somewhat appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a-flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Thank you, Mr. Pitts. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Now, who knows what that means? Carpe diem. That cease the day. Very good, Mr. Meeks. Meeks. Another unusual name. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Ding! Thanks for playing anyway. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. I'd like you to step forward over here. 
peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? I have a beautiful picture in my house of my parents on their wedding day. I don't know, maybe they're 23, 24. Each of their parents on each side, you know, you have one of those. They're, they look like they're 90, but I think they're 45. I mean, you know how your grandparents always look old no matter how old they are, you know? Um, it's, not, it's not surprising, but none of those people are alive in that picture. My kids don't know any, never met anybody in that picture. Y you'll be in that picture, hanging on a wall one day. Not, not today. But today, seize the day. So we're getting in our groups and discuss. Ready? Break. <laughs> 